Good morning. morning. My name is Pastor Dave. I'm glad to see you all this morning and be with you. I'm opening my Bible to Matthew chapter 12 this morning. I'm going to start though at the end of 11 where we left off last week. We're considering why Jesus matters today. We're going to hear the word Sabbath occur nine times in this passage. Nine times. This old word, Sabbath. How often do we still use that word, Sabbath? We're thinking about rest. Why does Jesus matter today? He offers us true rest. When I was in seminary, I had a job at St. Louis University, and I worked in the communication department as an administrative assistant. So I was helping the professors get their uh, class things in order, making sure there's a projector when there needed to be a projector in the room, making sure that uh, there was a lunch laid out whenever we had visitors in the department and that sort of thing. I was one of the support staff. There were other support staff in the building as well. Uh, one of the, the ladies, I'll call her Mary, who was on my floor and covered much of the building. She was on the custodial part of the support staff. She helped keep uh, the place beautiful. And she also was just uh, a delight and she would make us smile. So she was great to be around. But there were times when Mary was tired. And I remember seeing Mary shutting her eyes in in the staff. Uh, We had a little kitchen with a little table and a couple chairs. I remember her closing her eyes because she was really tired. And in my my youth, I'm in my my mid-20s at the time, I'm thinking, goodness gracious, this isn't a good place to be caught sleeping. You know, this isn't going to look good for her work ethic and that kind of thing. Well, I, I, I had a little group that, that met in the department, and we, would, we were reading a book about faith and work and how we can honor the Lord in our work. And one of those chapters talked about the importance of rest, of the fact that we weren't just made to work, but we're also made to rest in the Lord. And we were talking about this, how we can live a faithful life of work and rest. And it came out of one of the faculty's mouths. Uh, several people were Christian. It's a Jesuit university, and so many of the people are Christian there. And one of these faculty people says, you know, there are some assumptions that are being made by this author because not everybody has the privilege to be able to rest regularly like you and I. And they, the, the staff member mentioned Mary, And how they pray that Mary could get rest. Because I did not know that Mary not only worked full-time as a custodian, but in the evenings, she worked multiple part-time jobs. And she did this because she was supporting not only herself, a woman into her 60s, but also her grown daughter and her many children. And so she's in a single-income, multi-generation household. And so I thought back to that moment when she closed her eyes in the staff kitchen. And I should have given thanks for that moment for her, that she gets one moment of rest. We have different perspectives on rest in our culture today. Many people will boast of the fact that they work more than 60 hours a week, even if they don't really. It's a status symbol to say you work a certain amount of time. But is that really healthy? Is that really good for us? What are we for? Are we just for work? In the ancient world, uh, there were different views of work as well. And one of the most beautiful, perhaps I think the most beautiful, comes from the scriptures. That the Lord revealed himself to people who were slaves. And one of the first things that they learn 
is that living under the Lord, Yahweh, they were no longer defined by their work. They were created in the image of God. And they didn't have to work all seven days as slaves, where all they were was labor to Pharaoh. Now, now they're people who are treasured by the Lord, his treasured possession in all the earth. He loves them. Them. And they work six days because he himself in creating worked six days and rested on the seventh and saw that all his work was good. And so they have this, this law that's given to them then in the Ten Commandments. In the first giving in Exodus 20, they work six days and rest on the seventh because the Lord created in six days and rested on the seventh. Interestingly though, and I think of Mary, Deuteronomy 5 speaks from the point of view of redemption. The seventh day, I'm in Deuteronomy 5.14, the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord, which means a day that you cease from work. A, a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall, do, you shall not do any work, nor your son or your daughter, or your male servant, or your female servant, or your ox or your donkey, or any of your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates, so that that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. Rest wasn't just for the privileged. It wasn't just for the, the owners of the land. It was for everyone. Because they were created in God's image. Treasured. This is such a different way of looking at rest. Leisure is for the wealthy. It's the lifestyle of the rich and famous who get to rest. But not in God's world, not in God's kingdom. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. He gave this gift to his people that they could rest. They wouldn't have to toil and toil and toil. There was another ancient uh, voice named Juvenal, who had a sharp tongue, and he was uh, hearing about uh, the Jewish way. And uh, he said, remember the Sabbath day to keep it lazy, because he thought it was lazy to rest on the Sabbath. But God was giving his people a gift. And think about this. You know, Psalm 23, one of these, these songs that we cherish from the Old Testament. The Lord is a good shepherd. His people shall not want. He makes them lie down. The ambitious who would like to work seven days so that they can get all of the profit that they can possibly get. He makes them lie down in green pastures. And the weary Mary who is tired and exhausted and caring for her kids and her grandkids. He leads them to still waters, which literally means waters of rest. He gives them the, the rest the cold drink of water that they need. He is a good God to give such a good gift as Sabbath. But as with all good gifts of God given into the hands of human beings, we can take a good gift of rest and we can make it a big job, a big to-do, and a big pain in the rear. And that's what happened in the first century. By this point, there were traditions about the Sabbath, and they were preserved. We can still read today many of these traditions that they would have kept uh, in, in a book called the Mishnah. 
which contains the traditions and the different rabbis' opinions about the Torah. Well, in the big section called Shabbat, which talks about the Sabbath, there are 39 different forbidden acts on the Sabbath. Think about trying to keep 39 things that I can't do on this day. And they're going to include some of the things Jesus and his disciples do on a particular Sabbath day, at least from the reading of these rabbis. They take what God gave as a good gift and they make it wearisome. And what we see in ourselves, what we see in the Pharisees, we can see that whether we're religious or not, we can be weary. The religious people <laughs> weary themselves with the rules they try to keep. They then give the sin weary and the struggling extra hurdles that they have to jump. And the weariness just continues. They tire people out. The irreligious, though, they ignore God's path to rest, the green pasture that's set before them, and they rest in the wrong things. I mentioned this last week, the kinds of things that increase our triglyceride counts and our blood pressure. These things don't ultimately give rest. The hurt and the weary, though, looking on, hearing about the goodness of God, a God who redeemed his people out of slavery, a God who in Jesus Christ took on flesh, dwelt among us, lived a perfect, beautiful life and laid it all down so that we could know God and be forgiven. They hear about this good news and rest for their souls, but they wonder, is it really for them? Could they be welcome to know this rest? They've experienced church people. They've experienced religious people like the Pharisees. Is this really going to be restful for me? Why does Jesus matter today? He, he matters because he offers us true rest. So I hope you'll find that today as we walk through this passage. Uh, let's pray. Father, thank you uh, for your word and your promise to us. I pray rest for your people here today. I pray rest for our neighbors who may not have taken that step of faith into relationship with you yet, Lord. I pray for rest. I pray for rest for the cynic who stands out and is convinced that there's no rest to be found among your people. I pray that you would open their hearts. Lord, for all of us, we just look to Jesus now. And we pray in his name. Amen. Amen. Jesus offers us rest now and forever. I'm going to spend most of my time focused on how he offers us rest now because that's where our passage focuses. Jesus has just said, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He speaks of his yoke, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I'm gentle and lowly in heart and you'll find rest for your souls, rest. And then what happens next? In the inspiration of the spirit, the next thing that we see in Matthew's gospel is Jesus on the Sabbath. That's not a coincidence. Jesus is the one in whom and through whom we find true Sabbath rest. Matthew is showing that to us in this passage. We can come and we can receive true Sabbath rest now in him. The question is how? How? How can we experience rest in Jesus? Well, first of all, those who labor, they're finding their identity likely in what they do. 
their worth in what they do and what they can accomplish, whether before man to earn a buck or before God trying to earn his favor, trying to earn salvation. And Jesus is saying, no, come to me. Come to me and I'll give you rest. Hebrews 4.10 says that the one who has entered into God's rest rests from his works. We get to lay it down and trust in the Lord's work, the Lord who did it all for us. Jesus invites us to not find our identity in our accomplishment, but to rest in who he is, in his heart, in his goodness, to know that we're more than a title, more than an amount of hours work, worked, more than a paycheck. He loves us. He wants us, and he wants us to know him. And it's in knowing and experiencing that promise, experiencing him, that we're changed and that we have an opportunity truly to experience the rest that he's talking about here. We get to reorient our lives from a focus on our work to his work. Where does that sort of thing happen where we find a renewed sense of purpose and refreshment in, in doing his work? Where does that happen? This is where I get to offer the boring preacher's answer. It's when we go to church. It's when we gather with his people to hear his word when we sing his praises, when we pray for one another, we pray for one another. Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. He says, you are branches grafted into me. <laughs> You're part of my body. Life is found when we gather together. There are promises, special, beautiful promises given in the Old Testament concerning the people of God. There's a, a river that makes glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. The Lord is in the midst of her. He's giving a drink of water, an ever-flowing stream. Psalm 133, verse 3, it's already said how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. And that psalm ends speaking of the people of God of Mount Zion, that it's there that the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. There is blessing, there is life, there is living water to be found among the people of God where his word and promises are proclaimed, where we receive of his sacraments, where we meet him and he, he's here with us in our praises. We get to encounter him where we're gathered two or more in his name. And this is part of the essential work of Sabbath, <laughs> the rest. How, how, how in, the, in the Old Testament, the fourth commandment, uh, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Well, how did they keep it holy? They ceased from work. That's the passive thing. The active thing that they did was they gathered together and they heard the promises of God. They rehearsed to one another how they were slaves in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. And in the same way, we return to Jesus. We come to him together when we come together as his body today. And so what we're going to see is as Jesus talk, talks about the Sabbath and critiques 
the Pharisees about the Sabbath in the coming passage. I want you to notice Jesus still is resting in the Lord and in his goodness. Jesus is still gathering, even with these cantankerous people in their synagogue on the Sabbath day. (laughs) He isn't throwing the baby out with the bathwater. The Sabbath is still good, is still a gift, but he's helping people recover the goodness of it. There's a verse uh, in the New Testament in Colossians 2, the apostle Paul says, therefore let no man pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. And so many folks will say, well, there you go. I don't have to keep Sabbath anymore. Thank goodness. And the good news is, You're half right. You don't have to do things the way some religious teacher tells you to do it to experience the rest of God. You don't have to measure up to man's expectations. You don't have to memorize the 39 things that you can't do on the Sabbath day. But you get to, believer, you get to go and experience God with his people. You get to do that. Jesus marks an end to lording the Sabbath over one another, but he never takes away the goodness of this. Now, something that I'll commonly hear in response to this is something like this. Well, but what about the thief on the cross, pastor? The thief on the cross gets dragged out in all sorts of theological conversations, by the way. This poor guy. He he was a, a man who gets to experience the incredible mercy of God, that there is hope. No matter how deep your life gets in the pit, the Lord can bring you out. And the Lord can call you his own and forgive you. He gives amazing hope to, to all of us. But what he never got a chance to show us is what does the full life with God look like? He never got to live it. If you were to go to the thief on the cross and you said, oh man, I really want to do life like you did. He'd be like, are you crazy? I... You see what was happening. I was, I was a thief, and I was being crucified for what I did. And I just, humanly speaking, I lucked out that the God of the universe was crucified next to me. No, don't do it like me. Run to the Lord. <laughs> Look to him for your example, not the thief on the cross. Jesus rested on the Sabbath And Jesus says to come to him and to experience true Sabbath in him. Some of us would reference Paul's uh, statement about uh, no one passing judgment on those uh, with respect to Sabbath and would say, well, I don't need a Sabbath. You can't make me rest. I'm free. Thief on the cross was was saved without Sabbath, so I'm, I'm, I'm good. Yes, again. But if that is what you're aiming for, you're aiming for, I just want to be saved from hell. But What about all the depths of the riches of the knowledge of God? What about the rest that he has made you to know? There's more. (laughs) And the wondrous thing is that he works it out in communities like this one, full of all sorts of people who, apart from Jesus, they may like singing in a choir together. They might like serving on the grounds together. There might be certain things that they have certain affinities for, but that there's one ultimate thing that would hold them all together. 
And that's that they know Jesus. And they've taken up his invitation to come to him. And now there's nowhere else that they could go. <laughs> their, their hearts were restless till they fi- finally rested in him. So, perhaps you don't have to Sabbath in this way. But I have a question also for you then. Can you? Do you have the ability to stop working? Do you? Do you have the ability to put down your phone when it dings? And you have an email? Somebody in the office wants something? It's Sunday at 3.30. You're playing with your grandchildren. You're playing with your child. You're talking to your wife. Can you ignore it? Or do you have to answer the email now? Sometimes that's me, I'll be honest. Because sometimes I slip back and my identity is wrapped up in what I can accomplish. And I fear that if I don't do this, then I won't have enough. Sometimes if I could pastorally have a conversation with Mary, I would want to ask her, oh, dear sister, she was a Christian. I would want to say, dear sister, the Lord would love for you to know his rest and to not have to work every single day, to take some time with your family, enjoy his goodness, to take some time and get to worship and be refreshed in God. But I wonder, is she afraid to let go of that bit of time that she could earn? Is she afraid because if I tell my my boss that I need to have this day blocked off, he might let me go and then I won't have a job and then I can't take care of my family. (sighs) These are real worries of real weary people. But the Lord would have you rest. And I want, to, I want you to know this, that if you, and, and if you're watching online, maybe in two days from now you're watching online because you can't gather with the people of God here in person, I want you to know that I pray for you the words of Moses. You know, the people of God originally were leaving Egypt, Moses said, to go and worship the Lord. And the Pharaoh wouldn't let them. So Moses said, let my people go. And I pray for those who are in work situations and life situations. I pray, Lord, I pray that you would release them from the grip of bondage. I pray, Lord, let your people go. Free them to rest and to worship you. Because this is what life is supposed to be like. The life God created. Where he commands the blessing, life forevermore. So Jesus offers us rest now. And it's a rest, wonderfully, that is free from the nonsense of man-made religion. Starting in chapter 12, verse 1, at that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. Big red flags for the Pharisees. Two forbidden acts have just occurred. They have reaped on the Sabbath. And in order to eat, they have turned it in their hands a little bit, which is threshing. And then they ate it. Eating isn't forbidden on the Sabbath, thankfully. But they are now Sabbath breakers in the eyes of the Pharisees. And so when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. Look, we caught you. And Jesus said to them, have you not read? He gives four arguments. 
from the scriptures and then from a remarkable appeal to his authority. Have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him? This is in 1 Samuel 21. He's on the run from Saul and he goes to Nob and Abiathar the priest meets him there. And he entered, verse 4, the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which it was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests. Now the law doesn't forbid him eating it, but it only sanctions and says that the priests may eat it. But Abiathar, seeing him hungry and in need, gave him bread. People who are in need, yes, they can eat on the Sabbath. They can thresh at the edges of the fields if they need. And Abiathar fed him. Or, verse 5, have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? There's necessary work. Even on the Sabbath, you've got you've to get your kids in the van. And it is not easy, you know? And as you get older, getting dressed is not always easy, you know? Mornings can be hard. I tell you, something, though, is greater than the temple, it's right in front of you. And here Jesus is dropping a bomb on these Pharisees. That's something they could not handle. There's something greater than the temple here. In fact, there's the beginning, the cornerstone of a new temple in front of you that will welcome people of all nations to know true rest. Something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. The Lord desires steadfast love, covenant love, hesed love, commitment to him and to love those that the Lord loves. He doesn't care ultimately about our, our rote religious observance, our sacrifices, if they don't come from a heart of steadfast love for him. And Jesus closes with an incredible appeal to his authority. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus is the one who has the right to say how to keep Sabbath. He's just prayed. We don't know if it was public or if the Pharisees heard him say this. But he's just said in the previous chapter, in eleven twenty-seven, all things have been handed over to me by my Father. Jesus is claiming insurpassable authority beyond anyone. He's the king of all kings. And so, yeah, he gets to say how the Sabbath is kept. And for the record, Jesus elsewhere, Matthew doesn't record this part, but Mark does in Mark 2.27. Jesus says that the Sabbath, man was not made for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath for man. Sabbath is a gift. You don't exist to keep all these rules. God gave you this gift to enjoy him, to delight in him, to delight in his creation, which is what they're doing. They're on a nice walk. Imagine you're out on a nice walk and you see a tree with some beautiful fruit and you pluck it and you eat it and you give thanks to God on a beautiful day. And somebody comes along and says, you have violated statute number, right? Right? Get out of here, Jesus says. You're free, free to love me, free to love your family, free to love your neighbor and those in need on the Sabbath. God didn't give us a Sabbath to oppress us. And it, it, another thing just to ponder, I'll just let you ponder this for a moment. 
The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. God, in the six days he created, he didn't need that seventh day to rest. Do you realize that? He wasn't tired. In fact, John 5.17 says, Until now my father is working and I am working. Implying that the Lord, and I think this is true, has never ceased from working. In fact, the Sabbath was given as a picture for us, as Exodus 20 says. The Lord never needed rest, and if he did stop upholding the universe by the word of his power, what would happen? (laughs) We depend on his ongoing work. He doesn't need Sabbath. We do. He knows that we do. And so he gives us freedom. And so I just encourage you to enjoy the Sabbath, but also to be mindful of our neighbors who who come to seek to enjoy him, that we take care, that we don't put up extra hurdles for them, extra rules, man-made rules. In olden times, it might have been rules about what folks wear. It might have been another kind of rule. But we are people who welcome others to know the rest of God. We're also mindful, though, of those who can't even rest on a Sunday. Think about this. So uh, the, the original Sabbath was given on the seventh day, Saturday. So there was work and then there was rest because that was the pattern of creation. But now in the new creation in Jesus, the New Testament apostles changed the day of the Sabbath to what they called the Lord's Day, to Sunday, because they begin their life with the rest that Jesus has accomplished. They enter into his rest, and then they work a full week knowing that rest. But there are many who, because of work schedules and working lives, cannot worship with us on a Sunday. What about them? You can, you can worship when you can, <laughs> is the answer. And I pray for you that when the Lord frees you, that you could worship with us. And I'm thankful for things like we have today, like this remote technology that enables folks that are unable to be with us, nevertheless, to experience something like worship. So Jesus gives us freedom to enjoy rest in him now. And he gives us freedom to share that rest as well. In verse nine, he went on from there and entered their synagogue. So he goes to church. And a man was there with a withered hand, a hand that he couldn't use. And they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him? In Isaiah 58, which has some reflection about the Sabbath and other religious practices of God's people in Isaiah's day, there's a harsh challenge against religious people who use the good things of God as a source for a fight with people. Speaking about fasting, he says, oh, I I lost my place. Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own business and oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. They fast so that they can be the right ones who fast the right way on the right day. And look at all these other people who aren't doing it the right way. Those other people who don't go to church like I do on Sunday morning, wearing the right clothes, sitting with the right people, voting for the right people, doing the right things, being the right things. 
This is the Pharisees, sadly, who are interacting with Jesus here. And Jesus says, Which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? He appeals to their humanity. There's actually another rule in the Mishnah, of course, against lifting a sheep out of a pit. But but you're human. (laughs) You're made in God's image. And so you, you care for the things that God has made. And how much more value is a man than a sheep? And so it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. If he was a Midwesterner, Jesus would have said, Dag nabbit. And then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out and it was restored healthy like the other. He enabled this man to rest, to enjoy Sabbath. He wouldn't play this ridiculous religious game of making a good gift of God a source of a fight. Rather, it was an invitation to experience God and life in his creation as it was meant to be. But the Pharisees will go out and seek to destroy him because Jesus made them look bad. Sabbath rest forms us to love like Jesus loves. That's what we see here. Some of us, though, I just want to just poke for the few. I, I doubt this is many, but if there are a few who need to hear it. Some of us can be drawn to the Pharisees' vision of church life, that it's about being right, that our church life is about getting all the answers to the Bible quiz so that we can be the right ones and that we can win the argument. And we like videos, if, if we happen to be on social media, we like the videos where someone destroys the viewpoint of someone. We like that. And we want to see, see one another and our, and our pastors do that kind of thing. We'll, we'll say, yeah, we, 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 like it. we like a pastor who tells it like it is. Here's the thing, I see Jesus telling it like it is. And Jesus says, I'm gentle and lowly. And you'll find rest for your souls when you come to me. Jesus is one who's not bent on being heard in the streets. He's he's someone who's content with caring for bruised reeds and smoldering wicks. And so think about who the Jesus is that you look to. Where you find your, your vision of Jesus. I find him here in the scriptures, in the gospels, in the New Testament. Let's go there together and find rest in him and extend that rest. Jesus offers us rest now. He offers it eternally. One thing to comment on on this healing is that it's a sign of the kingdom that is to come. There are many people who come to Jesus with withered hands today. There are many people who come uh, to Jesus with, with heads balding because of cancer treatment. There's people who come to Jesus for rest that they don't get to experience when they hope to. But this sign of this kingdom tells us that in his presence and in his eternal kingdom, there is healing forevermore and rest from all that wearies you. There's a rest yet to come. And so we look forward to that together. And that's part of what we encourage one another with when we come together. Why does Jesus matter today? He offers us true rest today as we gather to receive from him in worship 
as he frees us to enjoy him in his world and as he frees us to share that rest with others. I want to close and just reflect with you about what God is like. Because again, many of us wonder, is God really going to give me rest? I, I have a friend who recently made a statement, something to the effect of, well, he didn't give me rest. And what this person had experienced was being worn out by people who were religious. There's a story in um, the Chronicles of Narnia, Shift the Ape, in the last book, the last battle, who finds a a skin of a a lion and causes this donkey, this poor donkey, to dress up like Aslan, the lion who represents Jesus. And then he makes this donkey to say things that Aslan would never say. He causes him to cut down all the talking trees and to send the dwarfs off to forced labor in the mines and to sell the talking horses of Narnia to make them work horses in another country. And he says, Aslan is angry. And you all better get your act together because he's going to be more angry with you if you don't. And Shift was co-opting Aslan. Co-opting something true and good to use it for his own wicked purposes, for his own power, for his own gain. And this happens in the world and it is vile. And our friends, our neighbors, some of you have experienced it. The misuse of God, a terrible picture of God who doesn't want to give you rest, but wants to wear you out. And I just invite you back to Jesus and to his Sabbath. But when you hear me say the word Sabbath, many of you, it might trigger you and you think, oh no, It's another one of those religious leaders, one of those God talkers. (laughs) And so uh, the last picture I leave you with is of Therma, a 90 plus year old woman. She was a hairdresser her whole life. She never could attain much wealth. She lived in a trailer near town in Sparta, Illinois. And she was a godly woman who loved the Lord and who loved his people. And she would talk about how she missed going to Sabbath school She didn't call it Sunday school. She called it Sabbath school. She missed Sabbath school. She couldn't go easily on her own. Physically, wasn't able. But she would share about her memories of how she learned of the Lord and his goodness. And I think of that vision of a Sabbath school, a place where you learn rest. I think I need that. And I I would submit this to you with, with a little slight bit of feistiness that I don't think you or I are more advanced in our faiths than Therma. I don't think we're more savvy in the things of God than Therma. We need to come to him to learn of his rest with his people, to take a break, receive a cool cup of spiritual water. And that's why Jesus matters today. He gives us true rest. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for rest We praise you, Jesus, that you've given this to us. It's in your name we pray, amen.